Oh, hallelujah. There's just no telling what God's going to do. There's no telling what. I've seen God. We've seen it right here in this church. God has performed miracles during communion service. God has healed people during communion service. I'm telling you, with the power of God that's here and God already assuring us that he wants to do this, there's just no telling what God's going to do when we begin to partake of the Lord's Supper. Amen. That, you know, we, we call it communion. We call it communion. For a reason. Sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. Some have called it the Last Supper. But the reason we use the word communion is because that's what we're doing. We are communing with Him. We are having communion with the God of glory. In those moments, as we do what His Word tells us to do, we are communing with Him in a very special way. This is not just a symbolism. This is not just a ritual. Though I've been in churches where that was all it was. That's not what God intends for it to be. God intends for it to be a very special and powerful thing. That's why He said we need to do it till He comes. I've of late, of late, I have been made aware of conversations where churches are deciding it's not important anymore. It's not necessary. And the question they're asking is, well, do you have to do it to be saved? I'm telling you, that's the wrong question about anything. It's not about what I have to do. It's about what I get to do. Well, praise God. So I'll tell you what, we're gonna let you, I'm going to let you go back to your seats. We, we hadn't received an offering, have we? We did? We did. We can do it again. All right, we did. That's right. It's been a while ago. All right. I wasn't going to do it now. I was going to just wait if I remember to do it at the end. But yeah, we did it. So I'm going to let you go back to your seats, get your Bibles. We're going to. Communion is too important for us to just enter into it without understanding what it is we're doing. And um, I'm not going to take the time to teach everything that's in my notes tonight. So I've got a lot of notes, a lot of notes. I won't take the time to teach it all tonight, but it has been a while since I've taught on it, and. Um, I think it's important for us to have a good understanding and comprehension of what we're doing before we do it. Um, because of what it represents, we'll talk about that in just a moment. If you'll turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's not lose the Spirit of the Lord that's here. Let's not become disconnected the Spirit of God that's in this place right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll begin with verse number 23. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Now, you know, why don't you just be seated? I, I appreciate you standing and I do do like it when you stand for the reading of the text, but I want to I take my time tonight 
And I don't want you, it's, it's already late. Folks are already weary. But um, I do want to, I want to point some things out to you. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to look at it. What the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth, he said, I received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you. You understand that Paul was not one of the original 12, so he was not in the upper room that night when this took place. He wasn't there. You understand that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not written at this time. So he didn't read about it. Are you with me? So Paul is telling the Corinthians, the Lord told me this happened. I received this from God. You know that, that Paul spent two and a half years in Arabia after his conversion, praying, seeking God, studying the Old Testament verses of Scripture. And then when he felt like God had shown him the things he needed to preach and teach, he went back to Jerusalem and sat down with the 12. And he compared his doctrine to what they taught. They were the ones that had walked with the Lord. They were the ones that had been personally trained by Jesus himself. And Paul said, I just want to check with you men. I don't, I, I, Paul was human. And really, Paul was a new convert. Right? He hadn't been in church very long. Now, he'd been in the Jewish church for a long time. But he hadn't been in the Christian church very long. And so he said, I want to make sure that I didn't miss it. So he went and submitted himself to those men, compared everything that he was teaching to what they taught. And it all lined up. What he got was from God. And he's saying to Corinth, I received this from the Lord. God showed me this. Now we can go to the Gospels and read where it happened, and we will, no doubt, tonight. Read some of the verses where it happened. But for Paul, he didn't have that ability to go and read it. God revealed it to him. And he said, this is what I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. See, this is why I don't understand why there's a debate today over whether we should be doing this. Do you see what I see in this verse? He said we ought to be doing this till the Lord comes. Verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Now, don't get too hung up on that verse or that word, all right? We'll take the time to explain it to you. But I'll just point out right now that it does not say unworthy. It says unworthily. There is a difference between the two. None of us are worthy to do this. But that's not what Paul said. We'll talk about it. We'll explain it in a minute. But he said, if we, if we eat this bread and we drink this cup unworthily, 
will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So the Apostle Paul shows us the importance of observing the Lord's Supper. He talks to us about the necessity of it, the importance of it. And he talks to us about the way that we ought to be doing it. And, and again, we'll explain that in a minute. But I, I want to tell you, and I, again, for time's sake, I don't have the time to go through everything. If you're taking notes, let me just tell you, you can go to the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 14, and you can read that what was going on that night, the Lord was not really instituting something new. All right? The Lord didn't go into this upper room and say, we're going to start a new practice that's never been done before. The Lord was doing what had been done for hundreds of years. Some 1,500 years earlier, what the Lord did that night actually began. Because what they were doing that night, they were observing Passover. That's what it was. This was their Passover meal. Again, you can read it in Mark chapter 14. In fact, go ahead and read verse 16. If, if you would read that. This is what it says. Verse 16. Mark 14, 16. It should be the first one on there. Is it not on the page? And his disciples went forth. Went forth. And came into the came city. Into the city. And found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And they made ready what? The Passover. So they're, they're preparing for Passover. Do you see that? They're preparing for Passover. And then you can skip down to verse 22. And here's what he says. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them. And said, take, eat, this is my body. Yeah, and then the next, and then he took the cup. So, so this is what I'm telling you. They were preparing the Passover. What was going on that night was the continued observance of the Jewish Passover. Now, what was Passover? Why were they doing this? What was it all about? Well, Passover was the night that the Jews were freed from Egyptian bondage. Right? God had sent all the plagues. And the last night, God said, this is it. You're coming out of Egypt tonight. And he said, I want you to take a lamb of the first year. And I want it to be a lamb without spot, without blemish. I want you to kill the lamb. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of your house. And then he said, I'm going to come. And we often say the death angel, but go back and read it. God said, I'm going to pass through the camp. I'm coming down myself. And I'm looking for one thing. I'm looking for the application of the blood. And he said, if I see the blood, I will pass over you. But if the blood is not on the doorpost, the firstborn in every house where the blood is not applied is going to die. It's only the application of the blood that spares from death. Hallelujah. And so that night, God passed through the camp. And that night, God passed over the homes of the Israelites who had obeyed. And that night, 
as death began to hit every home, even to the palace of the Pharaoh, as the cry went up, their firstborn died. God said, it's time to get out of here. And they began to leave, never to go back to Egyptian bondage again. Now listen, that's a big thing. They had been in this condition for hundreds of years, and now they're free. Now they're no longer slaves. Are you hearing me tonight? And God said, this is a big night, Israel. And I don't ever want you to forget this. I don't ever want you to forget that you used to be a slave, but you're not anymore. I don't ever want you to forget that I miraculously delivered you from your bondage. And so in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, he talks about this. He discusses everything that I just told you. He said, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt tonight. He said, I'm going to smite the firstborn. Um, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to execute judgment against their gods. He said, the blood is a token upon your house. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. The plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land. And then in verse 14, he says this. And this day. This day. Shall be, unto you shall be unto you for a memorial. For a memorial. And, ye shall and you shall keep it a, a feast, feast the unto the Lord throughout your, throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast. And you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance, by an ordinance forever. For how long? For how long? God said, I don't ever want this to stop. Every year at Passover, every year at this time of year, I want you to remember you used to be a slave, but you're free now. From now on, I don't ever want it to stop. I don't ever want it to quit. I'm telling you that even today, those Jews who are following their Jewish religion still at Passover time will have their meals. They still celebrate. Nearly four millennia later, nearly 4,000 years later, they are still celebrating the fact we used to be slaves, but we're not slaves anymore. God set us free by the power of the blood. And what was going on in the upper room in Jerusalem that night with Jesus and his disciples, they were there celebrating. This was not a sad time. This was not a time of mourning. This was a time of celebration. This was a time of rejoicing. We, the Jewish people, used to be slaves, but God set us free by the power of the blood. And so sitting there in that upper room that night, while they had their meal prepared, and they had everything before them, this was something they had done all their lives. This was something they had practiced every year. This wasn't the first time Jesus celebrated Passover. It wasn't the first time the disciples celebrated Passover. They'd done it every year from the time they were born. But this night, Jesus said, I want to teach you something. This was the last night, you see. This was his last night before he would be betrayed and crucified. And he said, tonight, look, if, if, if historians are correct, and Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples, then I'm telling you, this was at least the third Passover he had celebrated with them. He'd done it before. But on this night, he said, I'm going to show you something different. I'm going to teach you something you didn't know about all this. And so he took the bread. And you know, for them, they didn't have sliced bread. They didn't buy Wonder Bread. It didn't come prepackaged. They baked it in a loaf. They didn't use knives to slice it. They used their hands. And they broke it. And they broke off the pieces for them to eat. And that night, Jesus picked up that loaf of bread and he broke it before their eyes. And he said, I want to teach you something. You've been doing this all your life. 
you thought it was only about the Jews and Egypt. But I want you to understand something. This bread that you've been breaking every year, it really wasn't about the Jews in Egypt. There was another purpose that God was trying to teach you thousands of years ago. This bread that's being broken in your sight is my body. My body is going to be broken for you. Hallelujah. And then he picked up the cup. And he said, guys, you've been drinking this for years now. You've watched your mom and dad drink it. Your grandparents did it. But you never understood what this cup symbolized. This was not just a drink for you to remember that you used to be in Egypt. But he said, I want you to understand there's another purpose in this cup. What is in this cup symbolizes something. And I'm going to tell you what it symbolizes. It symbolizes blood. What was it that set you free back in Egypt? It was blood, but it was the blood of a lamb. But I want you to understand that what you're about to drink is also the blood of a lamb, but not a lamb like you've ever seen before. Because the blood you're about to drink is the blood of the lamb of God. And the same thing that set you free from Egyptian bondage is what's going to set you free from the bondage of sin. Oh, hallelujah. And what you're about to drink, you're drinking that which will set you free. Well, praise God. So I'm going to tell you what Jesus did that night was he took the Passover to a brand new level. He said, I'm going to tell you, we've been, we've been doing it as Jews for a long time, but we didn't have an understanding of what we were really doing. There's a reason why God wanted you to do this every year. There's a reason why God, it wasn't about Egypt and physical chains. It's about your soul and spiritual chains. And I want you to know that he who the sun sets free. There's a greater freedom through the power of Jesus' blood than what the Jews felt that night when the blood of the Lamb was put over their doorpost. Hallelujah. We talked about it as we talked through the book of Matthew. Last year, we got into that uh, back, I don't know when, back in uh, uh, August and September of last year, we, we dealt with the fact that Jesus, it was not a coincidence that Jesus was crucified when? Somebody said it, when? He was crucified at Passover. That was no mistake, and that was no coincidence. God instituted this whole thing. Do you understand? God instituted this 3,500 years before, knowing the very day that Christ would be crucified. God set it up. God established the calendar. God had it happen at that night. Look, I, I don't... Some of you are not getting this. All of those plagues, all of those, God had a time. And God didn't let liberation come until the right day. But when that day was fully come, God said, this is it. Things are about to change for you. And God did it all to show them and to teach them because 3,500 years later, in the city of Jerusalem, there was going to be another lamb that was slain. God told them back there in Egypt, it's got to be a young lamb. And it's got to be a spotless lamb. Well, hallelujah. Why? Why? Because of what it was going to symbolize. Please listen to me tonight, church. What we are about to do, we are going into that other level of Passover. A level. This is what it really was all about back then.
It really wasn't about the Jews and Egypt and Pharaoh. It was about me and you. It was about God providing for us this perfect freedom and breaking the chains of bondage through the power of his blood. Hallelujah. And so, and so that night was a celebration. And what we're about to do in a few moments ought to also be a celebration. It ought to be a time of victory for us. As we think back, as we remember what the Lord did for us, we ought to be celebrating the fact I used to be a slave. I used to be in bondage. The devil used to have me bound. The chains of sin were around my feet, around my hands. I couldn't do anything because I was in bondage. But one day, the blood of the lamb was applied to my heart. And when that blood was applied, the chains fell off. And I'm no longer a slave and I'm no longer in bondage. Are you with me tonight? I know it's late. I know we're tired. Listen to me for just a few more moments. We've got to understand what we're about to do. This is not just going through a ritual. See, God cares about symbols. I'm not talking about the symbols on the drum. I'm talking about symbolic things. God cares. He does. Let me prove it to you. Go over to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. Now watch this. Pay attention to this. Numbers 20, Numbers 20, verses 7 through 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather. God told Moses, Take the rod, gather the assembly. And gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, mm-hmm. and speak ye unto the rock. And do what? Speak ye unto the rock. He said, I want you to go and speak to the rock. All right? Before their eyes. People, the people of Israel, they'd been in this place before. They'd already come to this spot one other time. They didn't have any water to drink. This was their second time to be here. First time they were there, they started complaining. We've got no water to drink. Moses, we're going to die out here. You brought us out of Egypt for us to die in this wilderness. We don't have any water. And the first time God had told Moses, take the rod and smite that rock. And when you smite it, water's coming out of the rock. And Moses did what God told him, and water flowed freely. For as long as they needed to drink, God provided enough water for more than two million Jews and all of their cattle and their livestock. That's a lot of water to come out of a rock. But God did it. Years pass. They've made their trek around the Sinai Peninsula. They've come back to this spot again. Once again, no water. You'd think they'd understand God did it before he can do it again. But no, they're right back to the same complaint. We're going to die. We've got, got nothing to drink. And so God says to Moses, I want you to take that rod. And this time, we're going to do things differently, Moses. This time, speak to the rock before their eyes. And what's going to happen? Shall give forth and his water. that rock is going to give forth its water. And thou shalt bring forth to and them. And you're going to... You're going to bring forth to them water, water out, of the out of the rock. So thou and you'll give, give it the to the congregation. And, their beasts and drink. you're going to give even their beasts drink. All right? Read. What did Moses do? Now what God told Moses, go this time and speak to that rock. And when you speak, water's coming out. But what did Moses do? Moses took the rod. He took the rod. From before the Lord. From before the Lord as he commanded. That's what God told him to do. He said, take the rod. But he said, I want you to take the rod, but I want you to speak. All right, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation. Gathered the congregation together. together Before the rock. 
Aha. And he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. Hear now, you rebels. Must we fetch you well, water you know, out of this room? Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. I doubt that Moses today would pastor a megachurch. As you hear me, these guys that are pastoring thousands don't get up and look at their congregation and say, you bunch of rebels. That's right. But that's what Moses did. Here now, you rebels. Read. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Do we have to get water out of the rock again? Read. And Moses lifted up his Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod and with his rod he smote the, he rock, smote twice. the rock twice. Now God said, "Speak to that rock." But Moses smote the rock. What happened? And the water came out abundantly. Water came out abundantly. And the congregation they drank. drank. And their beasts. Their animals up. drank. And the Lord spake unto Moses and but Aaron. But God spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you believed me Because not. you did not believe what I told you. To sanctify me in the, to eyes, sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Israel. Therefore, you Therefore, shall not bring this congregation into the land. I'm telling you two men. You, you will spend... The rest of the 40 years leading this bunch of hard-headed, rebellious complainers only to get to the point where they're ready to finally inherit the promised land and you are not going. You're going to put up with them. You're going to have to listen to them. You're going to have to hear all their griping and moaning and complaining and doubts and unbeliefs, but you don't get the reward in the end. Now, that's pretty severe. You hear? That's pretty severe. Why? Why is God being so severe with Moses? What did Moses do? What did he do? I mean, what was his action? Moses hit a rock. And for hitting a rock, God said, you're going to put up with them for 40 years, but you don't get the reward. For hitting a rock. Does God care about the rock? Was God concerned about whether it hurt the rock? Rocks don't have feelings. Rocks don't have nerve endings. Hello? This wasn't rock abuse. That rock did not know that it had been hit. As far as rocks go. But you see, God wasn't looking at the actual action. God was looking at the symbolism. Because that rock represented something. That rock meant something. For he said, Paul said to the Corinthians, and, and, and this is not in your notes, but I, I, think we ought to, I think we ought to read it tonight. 1 Corinthians. I, I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. And I'm, I'm watching the time. I'm watching the time. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 4. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. Listen to this. For the weapons of our warfare. No, no. Are you in the same place I was? 2 Corinthians. I was right the first time. It's 1 Corinthians. I was right. That's what's bad when you're right and think you're wrong. 1 Corinthians 10 and 4. Now read that one. And did all drink. There we go. They did all drink same of that same spiritual rock. Read. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And that rock was Christ. 
Here's what, here's what Paul tells us. The rock represented something. In a dry and a thirsty land, the rock gave water. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? He said, I've got water to drink that you don't know anything about. Right? He said, I am the water of life. You understand, here's what's going on. The rock symbolized Christ. And Christ would be smitten one time. And then after that, when we need something from him, we speak to him. Right? This is why God was so angry with Moses. Not because God cared about the feelings of a rock, but God cared about the symbolism of that rock. That rock represented Christ, and God wanted the symbol to remain true. Christ would be smitten one time at Calvary, but after that we go to him, we speak to him, and he gives us what we need. But when Moses went back and smote him the second time, that breaks the symbol. And God said, for violating a symbol, you're not going into the promised land. This is what I'm telling you, church. What we are about to do, this is more than just a ritual. God cares about symbols. If God institutes a symbol, God cares about that symbol. If God institutes a symbol, God is going to honor that symbol. And so we need to understand, God instituted some symbols here. Let's read again 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. We read it in our text. Let's read it again, 1 Corinthians. It's in your notes somewhere there. 1 Corinthians 11 and 24, it's, it's there. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he, had given thanks he, break it, he break it, that is the bread, and, said, and he said, take, eat. take eat. This is my body. This is my body. Do you understand? There's a symbol. Jesus himself is establishing a symbol. God is setting this symbol up. And God honors this symbol. This, this may be just bread that you can buy at the grocery store. But when we bring it into this setting, it becomes a symbol in God's eyes. And God honors this symbol. It doesn't literally turn into the body of Christ, but it represents the body of Christ. Just as that rock with Moses didn't all of a sudden become the person of Christ. But it represented Christ. Are you following me? So when we bring that tray of bread in here. As I said, it may be bread you can eat, you can buy anywhere. You can go down and buy it yourself. But when we bring it into this setting, it's something God honors. It now carries a new significance with it. And Jesus said, this is not just bread anymore. But as far as I'm concerned, this is my body. Hallelujah. What did he say in John 6 and 35? And Jesus said unto them, Jesus said to them, I am the bread I of life. I am the bread of life. That's what's going on here, church. Are you, have I lost you? I know it's late, I, I, but I want you to get this. I want you to understand this is more than a ritual tonight. God honors what we're about to do. And in the eyes of God, this is not just a piece of bread. In the eyes of God, this is the body he took on himself and allowed them to rip apart for our salvation. This is my body that was broken for you. And that's why we use unleavened bread. We don't just go get wonder bread. I don't even know if they still make wonder bread. It's what they used to make when I was a boy. Whatever they've got, Hostess or I don't, Hostess shut down too, didn't it? They may have reopened. I don't know what they sell now, but Sarah Lee, great value. 
It's what most of us buy. Cheap stuff. But what we're bringing to you is not just Sarah Lee or great value. But we have specifically chosen unleavened bread. Why? Why unleavened? Because, again, the symbol. Everybody understands? This is a symbol. This is a representation. And do you know that in the scripture, leaven is a symbol, a type of sin. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven, a little leaven leaveneth leavens the whole lump. Purge out, purge the, out the, old the old leaven. That you may be a new lump. That you may be a new lump. As you're, as you're unleavened. unleavened. All right, so, so we go on. But listen, here's the deal. Is that leaven, and Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is dealing with sin in the church. That's what he's dealing with. And he calls it leaven. And he said, you've got to get rid of the leaven. Leaven is a type of sin. So if we bring in bread and say this represents Christ's body, but that bread has leaven in it, what have we just said? We've said that Christ's body has sin in it. And yet he knew no sin. Are you with me? God honors this symbol. So we've got to treat the symbol in accordance with what God wants. So it's going to be unleavened bread because Christ had no leaven of sin in him. The juice that we drink symbolizes the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the, new, is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So, so when we bring that cup, what's in there? You, you can go down. I'm assuming it's Welch's. You can go to the grocery store if they're open tomorrow. I think most of them, many of them will be. Go buy the same thing we're going to be serving tonight. But you understand that in this setting, God looks at that, not as though it's Welch's. But that's his blood. Not literally, but symbolically. Are you with me? That's his blood. Now, let me just throw this out there for you. This is the reason why, one of the reasons why, we don't use wine when we take communion. Some people do. But I'm going to tell you why I have a problem with that. One of the reasons I have a problem. There are a couple of reasons. One is, it's interesting. If you'll read it in the Gospels, nowhere does it say that he drank wine that night. But it specifically calls it the fruit of the vine. Now, they knew what wine was. And there are other places where wine is mentioned in the Scripture. Why didn't they just say wine? If that's what he was drinking that night, why didn't they say that? They didn't. They said it was the fruit of the vine. Okay? The second reason is, do you understand how alcohol is made? Do you understand what turns grape juice into wine? There is an ingredient that is required for it to become alcoholic. Do you know what that ingredient is? Yeast. Yeast, which is leaven. If we use wine, we're putting leaven in the blood of Christ. There's no sin in his blood. Do you know what else happens? Do you know how juice becomes wine? It's fermentation, which is a dying process. The juice has to start dying. There's no death in the blood of Christ. His blood gives life. Are you with me tonight? This is why. What we're going to serve, yes, it's grape juice. But when we drink it, not literally, we don't believe in the, the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. It's a big word. 
they, they teach that literally the minute that you take the bread, it turns into his flesh. Literally. And the minute you drink the cup, it literally turns into his blood. I don't believe that. But in the eyes of God, God treats it the same way. You understand the difference? What we're about to do, we are about to take the blood in symbol of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, I'm trying to, uh, trying to get through some of this because we've got, we've got a limited amount of time here. We need to be starting fairly quickly. Um, the question arises, how often should we do it? I, I do know of churches that do it every Sunday. I personally am not a fan of that. I'm not here to criticize them, but I'm not a fan of that. I'm going to tell you why. That which is common and familiar to us loses its all. Do you hear me? If we do this every week, then suddenly there's no real awe about what we're doing. It's become too familiar. It's become too common to us. So I don't want to do that. For the Jews, Passover was one time a year. For the most part. They did actually, they had an exception. Those that weren't able to observe for whatever reason on Passover, they waited a few months and they gave them a makeup date. I mean, really, it's in your Bible. They did. If they couldn't make it the first time, they gave them a makeup date. Okay, but you've got to come do it. You've got to do it. It's got to be done. So if you can't do it on that date, for whatever reason, you're sick. You're, you know, whatever. You, you can't do it on that day. We're going to give you a second day to do it. But, but for the most part, it was actually only done once per year for the Jews. And this is a continuation of what began as Passover. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us how often we ought to do it. This is all it says. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as For you eat as oft as you do it. And drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So, so it doesn't tell us how often. It just says however often you do it. Just remember what you're doing. So it sounds to me like the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, gives us the liberty to decide how often we're going to do it. Right? That's what it sounds like to me. Now, let me tell you, Paul was far more concerned with how we do it than he was with how often we do it. Prove it to you. Let's go on to the next verse, verse 27. I told you I'd come back to this, so I want to make sure I get this one in. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Here's what he said. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this whosoever bread, shall eat this bread and drink this cup and of the Lord. Drink this cup of the Lord. Unworthily. Everyone say unworthily. Now not unworthy. Unworthily. Everyone say unworthily. Yeah. It's a little bit bigger word than we're used to using. We, we're familiar with the word unworthy. But there's a huge difference between unworthy and unworthily. I don't want to get in too much of an English grammar uh, lesson here tonight. But you see, one is an adjective and one is an adverb. If you know the difference between an adjective and an adverb, you do know the difference, don't you? you yeah, do what? Yeah, they're both a description but it's what they describe that makes the difference. An adjective describes a noun, a person, place, or thing. An adverb describes a verb, an action. Okay? It may not sound like a big difference, but it is a big difference. Because if Paul had said unworthy, that describes the person. We are all unworthy. But he used the adverb unworthily. That describes the action. It's not you, it's how you do it. You follow me? This is what Paul is saying. It's not about whether you deserve to be able to do this, Jared. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I, who am I 
that I could take the blood and the body of Jesus Christ into my person. Who am I? I don't deserve that. I'll never be worthy of it. You hear me? He didn't say unworthy. He said, don't do it unworthily. That's how you go about it. It's the attitude with which you do it. The, the real word in, in the Greek means irreverently or carelessly. Okay? Don't just do it. Okay, all right. Communion. All right. You know, just throw the bread in, drink the drink. Okay, it's done. No, he said don't do it carelessly. Understand how important this is in the eyes of God. Understand the significance of what we're doing. What are we doing? We're showing the Lord's death. We are being reminded that we who are undeserving had the great God of glory robe himself in flesh for our benefit, come to this earth, was beaten, was spit upon, was ridiculed and mocked, and gave his life so we could have salvation. I can't do that carelessly. I can't take that carelessly. He said, if you do it carelessly, you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What else did he say? Verses 29 through 30. Let's read on. I'm just about done. I don't, is everything ready? Do we need to have it brought up? Brother Brandon's going to, to do that now. All right, read, read for me. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. For if you do eat and drink carelessly, eateth irreverently, you're just playing, you're just laughing, you're just, you know, going through the motions. Here's what he said, if that's the way you do it, eateth and drinketh damnation to he himself. He said, you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. Why? Not discerning the Lord's Because body. you don't understand that in God's eyes, this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice, in God's eyes, you understand how much it cost him? Do you understand the price he paid? His body, his blood. He said, you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not recognizing the importance of what's going on here. And he said, you're eating and drinking damnation if you're careless and irreverent about it. In fact, he went on to tell the church at Corinth, verse 30, for this cause, for this cause many are weak. And he said, I'm able. telling you, that's why some of you are having problems in the church because you come and do this irreverently. You're not discerning the Lord's body. And where this ought to be a very positive thing, this ought to be a thing you're rejoicing about, you're just playing games with God. And he said, God is bringing, God is bringing correction and, 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 and reprimanding. I mean, that's what the Bible says. He chastises his children. Paul said, you're being chastised because you don't recognize how important this is. But I want to tell you, this is not something we ought to be dreading. If we can get the right attitude and the right spirit about this and not do it carelessly and irreverently, but recognizing God is giving us a great privilege tonight. God is allowing us to partake in his flesh and his blood. It becomes a very positive thing to us. You understand, this bread is his body that was broken. What was his body broken for? What was it broken for? It was for our healing. 1 Peter 2 and 24. Do you see that there? Read it for me. Who his own self? Who his own self? Bear our sins. Bear our sins. In his own body on in the tree. Own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins. We being dead to sins. Should live into righteousness. Should live under righteousness. Listen. By whose stripes? By whose stripes you were we healed. are, or you were? Peter said you were healed. That broken body speaks of healing for you. His body was broken so ours could be healed. 
And when we recognize that, I'm telling you, this is why we've seen people get their healing when they come through to take communion. Because that's what you're doing. You're saying this body, the reason this body was broken was so that mine could be healed. And I'm going to honor what he did for me. And I'm going to believe that he didn't do it in vain. I'm going to get my healing tonight when I take his broken body into my broken body. His broken body is going to heal mine. Praise God. Let me tell you what else it speaks of. What else? What else? What else do we see in all of this? Well, we drink from the cup. What was the cup? What did he say about the cup? Verse 25, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. 25. After the same manner After also, manner, he, he took, took the, the cup. cup and he supped, saying, this cup, this is, cup the is the New blood. Testament in my blood. What was his blood shed for? Read. Read. This, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of me. All right. All right. But there, there's another place here where he says, uh, it was in Matthew. I'm sorry. Matthew 26, 28. Read that for me. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the this New is Testament, my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for which many, is shed for many. For Why remission of sins? Why? Why? Why was his blood shed? His body was broken to heal us, and his blood was shed to forgive us. I'm going to tell you, saint of God, I, I know none of us are perfect. We shouldn't just go out here and live in sin. Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We don't just want to go out here and just live like the devil. But I do know we're human. And I know sometimes we slip. And sometimes we falter. And you know what the devil does? Every time we make a mistake and every time we do something wrong that he tempted us to do, he caused us to do it, then he beats us over the head with it. You see what you did? You remember what you did? You know what? When you come through this line and you drink that juice, do you know what that juice is saying to you? There was a blood that was shed for the remission of sins. Devil, when I take this cup tonight, it's a reminder. I've got an advocate. I've got an advocate. He shed his blood to forgive me for the things that I did. And tonight when I drink this cup, I'm going to accept the forgiveness of God once again. I'm going to believe that his blood was not shed in vain, but it was shed to forgive me when I do mess up. And I'm telling you, when you drink that cup, you can walk away with faith knowing that God has put every sin under his blood. Oh, praise God. I'm telling you that when we take communion, when we take communion, we ought to be thinking of two things. Healing and forgiveness. Healing and forgiveness. What do you need from God tonight? If you still need healing, let me tell you, there's healing in the bread there's healing in the bread because God honors the symbol the same God that punished Moses for hitting a rock will honor that bread by healing your body when you drink that cup walk away rejoicing he's forgiven me he's cleansed me he's taken care of it Hallelujah. Years ago, Indianapolis, Indiana, a man went to Bishop G.T. Haywood. And he said, Bishop, I've got a problem. He said, I've cheated some men. I've taken advantage of some men. He said, I've tried by the grace of God to restore to everybody the things that I've done wrong. But he said, there are some men I can't find. There are some men I don't know where they are. I don't know how to make it right. What am I supposed to do? Bishop Haywood said, I don't have the answer for you, but I'll get it. 
Bishop Haywood went, shut himself in his office. I think it was three days that he spent praying and fasting. When he came out of his office, it was service time. He walked up to the pulpit and began to sing a song that God had given him. In answer to that man's request, what do I do about these things I can't fix? And the song said, when gloom and sadness whisper, you've sinned, no use to pray. I look away to Jesus and he tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. That's your answer. How are you going to deal with the things that you can't fix? You don't. You let the blood deal with them. You let the blood deal with them. I'm talking to somebody tonight. There's healing in the plate. And there's forgiveness in the cup. And God wants to give it to you tonight. Hallelujah. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord right now. Let's stand every.